that we are. We're an animal, but we're also the next stage of animals where we're aware of who we are and we contemplate our existence. And when you contemplate your existence and you're an intelligent life form, you should always be seeking to improve. If you're always seeking to improve, the thing that you look at is like, what has brought me the most positive results? Hello, it's uh, Ronald Gibson again. This is uh, podcast number 13. And today I have with me Bob Pantalone. Get a little whoa. 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 How's it going, Pants? Good, man. It's going to be hard for me not to do my Ronnie, my Roni impression when we're in here. <laughs> Rondell. Why do they call you Pants? Is that something from. My last name is Pantalone. And so. Just if anyone's taken a, a basic French or Spanish or it's pantalone means pants in almost every language, apparently. And it's the uh, one it's the one vocabulary word that everybody seems to remember. So I can't go to the bank without someone going, huh? You're the teller. Oh, you know uh, what this means? <laughs> yeah, since I've been six. So they'll tell me. Yeah. Pants so yeah, that. Bob Pants or Bobby Pants. It's it's the most go to nickname. And then there's. My close friends have ventured from that, but yeah, just the, it's a very easy nickname for most people to, yeah. to throw at me. It's, yeah, it's really easy. It rolls off the tongue. Do you have any siblings? Do they call them pants? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have, um, well, my youngest brother, Mike, is two years younger than me to the day. Oh, wow. So my birthday is August 24th, 86. His birthday is August 24th, 88. Hmm. Which is odd. I didn't know you were older than me by two months. <laughs> a little, <laughs> little woo. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Mike, um, sometimes people would call him Pants, but then his nickname ended up in high school becoming Beefcakes. Beefcakes. Because he was a little heavy set. And so <laughs> you remember Cartman on South Park? Yeah. Beefcakes. Yeah. So yeah. I started calling him Beefcakes and I was... I had influence in the school. So then people started calling him Beefcakes and he lost a lot of weight. So he embraced the nickname because he was like, yeah, I used to be heavy, but now look at me. I'm out here. And then my older brother, Andrew, is actually uh, my half brother. And he was, he's really influential to me. He uh, went into acting first and, um, but his last name's Parker. So he doesn't really have a brother. Yeah. So he's eight years older than me. Oh, eight. Okay. Yeah. So he's from my mother's first marriage, but he has a different last name. So Pants wouldn't really make sense to call him that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned a little bit about acting and where you got the inspiration. Yeah. Um, I know maybe some people may not know your history a little bit, like before Schneider. Yeah, let's what do is, some history what, lesson. What's some of that history? Let's uh, fill in the crowd here. What, like, what? Even before that, was it always acting as something you always wanted to do? No. Well, so I've always been somebody who liked to perform. And it started at a very, man, how how, how much history do you need? (laughs) Um, Because I I could talk about this history a lot. So when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my, my parents were really liberal with letting me see movies. Movies have always been a really big part of my life. Uh, so much so where I now even host a, a movie podcast. So if anyone likes listening to me talk on this, um, the Analysis podcast is a is a movie and TV podcast that I run with a friend. But I'm a fan. I've yeah, Ronnie's to, uh, a regular listener. I got to have now. And... I got to return the favor. You're having me on your podcast. I need to have you on mine. But so when I was a kid, I got to watch a lot of movies, and I was really influenced by Jim Carrey, by Chris Farley, and so I would find ways to either disrupt class or, or get a lot of attention um, by just mimicking movie stuff, uh, Austin Powers, just different things like that. But uh, always just kind of liked 
getting up, performing. I know that's counter. I think the biggest fear of people even before dying is public speaking. And that's kind of something that I embraced and, and loved to do. So um, I would always do, even when I was in early high school, I was doing stand-up. Okay. And I didn't really start acting in high school or, or grade school because a lot of them were musicals and I don't sing. I was more just interested in comedy. So I was doing more of the stand-up stuff and okay. Comedy Central was big at the time. So there was all those 30-minute stand-ups that I was admiring. And where so, did you do these stand-ups at? Was it so at there was a Royal Oak, Michigan is where I'm from. And there's a, a comedy theater there called Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. And it's actually where Tim Allen the, oh, wow. the actor got his start and yeah. I'm, I'm friend, friend, uh, family friends with Tim Allen. I've actually met Tim uh, while he was doing home improvement and stuff like that. He, yeah. His mother's friends with my grandma. So I was always just kind of interested in this comedy scene. So I would MC everything. I, for the talent show in grade school, I uh, sang with a, a friend's band just because they needed someone brave enough to get up <laughs> in front of the eighth grade and sing. So I was like, I'll do it. Nice. Uh, but I would always throughout high school MC things. I hosted uh, the company or the school, the company, the school picnic and stuff. So I was always kind of on a microphone and working a crowd. And it wasn't until I, uh, my brother was an actor. So my brother went, my half brother went to the Royal Oak Catholic school, okay. which is called shrine. And to, to do another name drop, um, he actually performed in high school plays with Kristen Bell, the oh. actress Kristen Bell. Yeah, yeah. So she's from Royal Oak, well, and she so again, she's something that a couple. Of well, she's she's in Frozen. She's one of the main characters, but she was in Veronica Mars, and she's in a bunch of movies, and she's in a you're show called me. The Good Place. You're losing me, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's a, she's a she's a movie TV star. Look yeah. her up. But she uh, she's married to Dak Shepard. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, sure. um, but so, so I would watch my brother do shows as a, as a kid and be like, Oh, I could do that. And then he went to college. He got a scholarship to go to college and perform. So I would watch and, and talk to him about performing and stuff. And so when I got to college is when uh, I went on a broadcasting scholarship, but, uh, started taking acting classes first, first was just, I need a speech credit. I might as well take the acting class. And then the acting professor was like, Hey, you should audition for the shows. And so I auditioned and I auditioned for Charlotte's web. It was the first time I'd ever auditioned for a play. Um, but I kind of, I did like, a, I did like an impression of the movie kind of. And it was like Paul Lind, uh, Paul Lind was the um, original Templeton. And it was like, I'm the center square kind of like he was, that was kind of the way he, he did Templeton. So yeah. I kind of like did a variation of that, um, but they really liked it and they liked that I could do impressions. So uh, I got oh. cast in that show. I got nominated for a performance oh, wow. uh, performance award for that show. And so then I started taking more and more acting classes and I started taking less broadcasting classes so much so where I actually switched and I made acting the major and broadcasting the minor. Mm. Um, and all the while, I, I, I ended up getting into improv because improv was definitely a nice blend of the acting performance with stand-up and kind of the spontaneity of, of, of a stand-up act sometimes. I just really was into the uh, in-the-moment comedy that was created. And I think the hardest anyone ever laughs is when something spontaneous happens and there's a, sure. a natural reaction in the moment. And that's all that improv is. And so... I got really bit by the improv bug and started to, uh, when I was looking to graduate, I 
came to Chicago, auditioned for the Second City Conservatory and, and was accepted into that. And that's really how I ended up in Chicago. Mm. It wasn't for uh, any sort of office or sales position or anything. It was to pursue improv and comedic performance. Did you... Like, how did you knew about Second City and you applied to Chicago? Yeah, or? once you start to get into the comedy world, and even before I, I started into acting, you're aware of Second City because they rightly so promote a lot of their their alumni. So, I mean, SNL, and there's I could go down the list of all the, the dead people and or, or all the SNL alumni, but the John Candies, Eugene Levy, mm-hmm. Mike Myers, uh, Chris Farley, um, and even in Detroit, there's a Detroit Second City. So that's how I got to know my brother's friends with Keegan Michael Key. So I just I was very much aware of okay. that uh, of Second City, and, and that was when I made this made the leap to go into comedic performance. That was the first place I had to look into. I love improv. I I never really seen any performances of improv until recently within the last few years yeah and uh it's just experiencing the moment with the actor himself is like the best part about it it's like they're laughing at their own joke they're they're realizing how funny (laughs) yeah the funny they just made you know and experiencing it with them i think that's like the best part yeah yeah that's why everyone loves those the, the bits on snl that 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 really stand the test of time, you're watching them trying to hold it together. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think people really, it's its this shared moment. And that's why live theater and, and especially live comedy is so special is, is it's this, it, and it really doesn't happen that much these days because everyone's so invested in, in the phone and they're given so much screen time, but it's this, it's this communal, mm. uh, we're all, we're all in this together and mm. we're giving it up. And, and it's this, shared experience and yeah and and i i really think the hardest anyone ever laughs is when something spontaneously happens that's yeah. why i was always drawn to conan o'brien on late night he he lives for things to go off the rail because that's when he's at his best and yeah. and just the lettermans and, and guys like that i've always admired because they're comfortable in the unscripted yeah right you uh I mean, that makes sense why your fans are like Jim, Jim Carrey and uh, uh, Chris Farley. Chris, Chris Farley is yeah. a Chicago Second City guy. He's from Wisconsin, yeah. but he, he moved to Chicago very much like I did to study at that theater and learn that craft. We were born the same year, so I was a huge fan of Chris Farley, too, back in, especially all his movies, Tommy yeah. Boy and all that. You know, oh, yeah. I, so. I used Chris Farley in my sales class. Tommy Boy Tommy Boy has a lot of real stuff to say about sales, too. Like, you don't Jojo. Sleep- you know, yeah, you circus boy. Circus boy. <laughs> yeah, but that's all about confidence. That's all about like, why can't you sell like that? And he was like, I wasn't selling. I was having fun. Yeah, yeah. And he says, that's that's the gig. They're buying you as much as they're buying this product, as much as they're buying brake pads. And do you so, do that skit? Do you play that skit? I your... play the video oh, for that's them. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool, and so though. they and so they go, oh, like yeah, it's it's yes, yes, you want to sound professional, and yes, but like half a, a big part of this is being somebody that's confident and somebody that they're going to want to work with every day. And if you're a ball of nerves and you, and you're robotic out there, like that's not somebody I want to hang with. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and 100%. so, and so that, that movie does a great job of just putting that perspective in because as soon as he adopts that philosophy, he starts making sales. Mm-hmm. As soon as he starts having fun, 
and he tells the story. Himself. Yeah, and he starts to be himself. Well, well, that's what you're good at. You're great at making friends. You're great at communicating. Just you got to do more of that in your sales. You yeah. can't be so uptight, smashing cars, lighting stuff on fire, breaking through walls. And he was trying to like emulate his father and do the same things he did. Yeah, and, and like perfect this little speech or like written speech. And mm-hmm. then when he started going off script, then yeah, no, you're the bull. <laughs> I could get a better look sticking my head up your ass wait a minute yeah because it's not his not his thing right those those aren't his words but once he starts to apply himself in there and and he starts to say like if i don't if i didn't get the chicken wings what's the big deal i still got that meat lovers pizza in the trunk and it's like you gotta kind of go in with a little more relaxed right and and when you need and you want that is apparent and and it's it's unattractive to work with for sure so Man, Tommy likey, Tommy, Tommy want wingy. Tommy want wingy. <laughs> yeah. Did we tell the audience that you're you uh, you basically host the training classes? And yeah, I don't know if we did or not. Yeah. We well, kind of dove right in, but yeah, I'm the talent and development manager here at Schneider. So that role is primarily I, I wear a few different hats in recruiting and HR and stuff, but the role is primarily training any new associate, regardless whether it's customer service or direct sales, training them on our services, our computer programs, and especially the sales process Mm -hmm. if you're going into a direct sales role. So I think some of, so sales, knowing how to sell is very important when it comes to any sales associate, obviously. But I think the most important parts is things you were t- discussing just now like with, with Tommy Boy and being yourself and, and just being very confident in your own abilities to uh, speak in front of people or talk on the phone to people you don't know and sell a service that maybe you're not so confident about and not having that fear, just being comfortable. Yeah. It seems like that's something you build up at a very young age. How do and like we discussed earlier, it's the biggest fear of people's public speaking and and being on the phone by yourself with a random person is kind of like public speaking as yeah. well. And it's probably a big fear. Like think of how many times I remember in college or people with their wives always fighting over who's going to call the food service to get to deliver, get, yeah. to deliver it and talk on the phone. You know, everybody wants to do the online thing. Well, there's, so yeah. Like, so there's, there's a, there is a divide. And one thing I really try to get in front of our people early is that you're not being a pest if you get yourself in front of an opportunity that you truly believe we're going to be beneficial to them. So if you do the prospecting on the front end the right way, you're not, so telemarketing is different. They, Mike Weinberg is is one of my uh, sales mentors, and we have all of our people read the the new sales simplified by Mike Weinberg. I know anybody that's listening that talks to me on a regular basis is probably laughing, like, "Oh, it only took him five minutes to get to Weinberg." But he talks about the difference between uh, a proactive sales call and a telemarketer, because a telemarketer, you're just calling down a list, completely blind, hoping to stumble across an opportunity, but you really aren't sure whether the person you're calling is really going to be benefiting or find value in whatever you're yeah, selling. You're that's telemarketing. Hit, basically, yeah, yeah, that's telemarketing. But the second that you start to think about your targeted lead list as, well, this is a company that fits a profile of something that we're already servicing very well and we're getting a lot of great feedback on. Or you fit the, you fit an identical profile to a customer that we're, 
we're bringing a lot of value to. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that I can be valuable to you, new customer. Then it's, you're not telemarketing. That's a, just a proactive approach to getting in front of a company that looks and smells a lot like somebody that you're already servicing. Yeah. And you shouldn't, you should have confidence that you're bringing a solution versus asking for business. And that's, that confidence is, is something that I try to preach over and over and over again. Mm. And, um, it actually brings me to, uh, one of my favorite books and, and I, and I know we, we talk about books on this podcast yeah. a lot, but one of my favorite books is actually, and, and I, and I quote it in class and I play a video from this in class as well as Brian Cranston, mm. who, you know, Brian Cranston. Yeah, what's the book? It's called a life in part. He wrote a book called a life in parts. And it's about the different roles that he's played in his life. So some of the one chapter might be on Walter White. The next chapter is uh, the role I played as a husband. Okay. And then the next pra- the next chapter is the role I played as a son. And then, it, you know, so he, he talks about many different roles, life or career that he's played. Okay. But the part to me that was uh, so enlightening was his approach to auditioning. And this is how I made sales work to me as a former actor is I was always correlating how, how the acting world is similar to the sales world. Mm -hmm. And he in the eighties was having a really hard time getting the roles that he wanted. He was doing a lot of uh, soap operas. He was doing bit parts on TV, but he really wasn't seeing the career success that he wanted. And his wife sat him in front of a self-help guru and the guru said, your approach is all wrong. You're going in the audition needing a job. You're needing that job. I saw a video of Cranston talking about this. I didn't know he had a book though. It's it's in his book, yeah. Yeah. So the guy says, when you have want and need, it shows. No matter how much you try to, to mask it, it evaporates out of you. It's just something that's in the air and people don't wanna work with people that have want and need. Yeah, that's good you need to go in with the confidence that you have something, something of value that may be the solution to their problem. Now think about this. These people are casting a television show. They need actors to do the job, to to do the role well in order for the show to be successful. So they have needed one. Mm -hmm. And you should be confident that you have the solution to this problem. I'm the actor. And what you need to do is confidently in whatever environment you're in, go and portray yourself to the best of your ability. And then don't worry about the decision they make. Don't worry about whether who they're gonna cast or why or how tall or whatever, those things are out of your control. The one thing you can control is how you portray yourself. And you're not gonna be able to do that 100% effective if you go in there with need and want. Mm. And if you think about the fact that you're actually giving them a gift, it makes you feel confident. Now, Ronnie, like, when you're giving someone a present, it's Christmas is coming up. I don't know when you guys are listening to this podcast, but Christmas is coming up. Do you get hyped to give someone a present? For sure. Right? You Sometimes you wake up early, you're really excited, and you're like, oh, my mom like needs this scarf. I like, always give the presents to my wife early because I can't, you can't even freaking wait. To it. Yeah. You can't even wait, yeah. right? Yeah. My wife needs this scarf. I've got this scarf. It makes us feel good to give. So as a, to, now let's put our sales mm-hmm. hat on. When you go in and you say, this company really needs a quality transportation provider to ship their goods. Mm. 
I know that I work with a company or a similar type company profile, or I know that my service is going to help their business. It's like you're giving your wife a scarf, right? You're giving them the gift of a quality transportation provider in one of the most critical parts of their business. If you go in with that mindset versus, hi, I really could, I just would love to work with your company. I need business because I fail if I don't get business. One person you want to work with and one person you don't. So if you adopt the philosophy and if you do the prospecting the right way proactively, it should give you confidence. Mm -hmm. For sure. You could apply this to a lot of things. Uh, Dating. Yeah. Right. Do you want to work with someone that's needy and wanting to date? Yeah. Do you want to have a friend that's like, hey, hi, I really need I need something to do this weekend. Will you please entertain me or or men or women in your life you don't want to be with the person that's needy and you always to. know those people that are overdoing it they're trying to like force hang out with you and those people you like resist right you, know, you always have those it's people unattractive exactly right so it's and then people can we're very good at nonverbal communication as is our the human species we evolved hundreds of thousand years and do it so it's like they say 65 percent of communication is nonverbal and the majority of us only read 5% of that. Yeah. And it's just, I think that's very true, but it's like the, when we do focus on it, when we do focus on it, and like, especially if you're in an interview or you're a customer listening in, like, well, I guess you can't know over the phone, yeah. but like the acting thing, when you're interviewing someone, they can tell when you're being over needy or desperate and they'll be able to read that. It's like, I don't want this guy. You can tell within the first eight seconds of a call who has confidence and who is wanting. Oh yeah. Probably eight in seconds. The first, yeah. Five, in the first, yeah. And really, and so that's, that's why, you know, you can't even get to step two, three or four if, if you're not executing step one. And mm-hmm. so it's very much, how are, you know, how are you introducing yourself? How are you off out of the gate articulating the benefit and value you're going to bring to them on a confident level to where they're going to want to have a conversation with you and want to bring you in to, to earn business? And I think for, and I work with new salespeople. So I'm working with mm-hmm. day one to day 12 or uh, month 12, mm-hmm. you know, that, that first year. And really it's, it is a, it is a, a journey to mm-hmm. it, you just can't snap your fingers and have confidence right away. But I think when you start to adapt the mindset of I have something for you, something of value, I'm bringing you the gift of Schneider in mm-hmm. the service. I think that is it, it's just a small change that that helps drive that mm-hmm. that helps drive that confidence, which is critical. How do you if I'm trying to give someone confidence in public speaking or get them to get more exposure to it because I think the public speaking exposure and becoming better at that gives you confidence in a lot of things in life. Yeah. Is that something you make and you make pertinent to so, yeah, expose to people or that's no? or kind of apply you can't, to their life? You can't force it, Ronnie. And I don't want to I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I did say that I, I had a, a, a knack or um, I approached public speaking from a young age, but that's not to, and let me pat myself on the back. That's not to discredit the, how hard it is. Mm-hmm. And I still, and I've performed in front of hundreds of people before, big shows, lots of people coming, sold out stuff. And um, I, I had performance anxiety. Mm, yeah. And 
it's not just something that I was naturally born with. And, and it, I don't want to discredit the hard work that it takes to become a good public speaker. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had moments where I've had a, a, a comedy career. I've had a pro- career in performance, but I went into something, whether it's speaking in, in front of a, a group just kind of randomly and I wasn't prepared. And all of a sudden my hands started sweating I was mumbling, I was crossing up my words, I wasn't making a lot of sense because I wasn't prepared. Yeah. And so the first thing you do is the more prepared you are, the less anxiety you're gonna have. Mm. And you also just, I don't care who you are, I've never met a performer that was speaking to me honestly that didn't have some sort of uh, performance anxiety. It's, I think it's a natural part of things. So you gotta I find ways to overcome it, right? Yeah, I, who was I? Oh, on McGill's the last podcast. Yeah, he was acting like uh, Air Van Zeeland wouldn't have any uh, anxieties. Like I guarantee you, she probably does. I mean, oh. it's just a natural, especially if you aren't super confident in what you're trying to sell, which is the issue with the the associates you're teaching, and that's yeah. you know that's the reason why they 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 have the sales voice that Weinberg talks about, and um, yeah, you know some of the sit-ins that I do as a manager with the younger tenured associates or just the newer tenured associates is, you know, I constantly tell them to just like be yourself, man, you know, just, yeah, it's just a, another human on the other side or, you know, just be yourself. And we're but. constantly trying to break down those mental barriers that people are putting in front of each other. And, and you're right that Aaron Van Zeelen, I, I'm pretty confident would, would get up there and she's at least thinking or, 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 going through every mental exercise she can to make sure that she can be successful in, in that speech. Yeah. I give a speech every, or the, the, I've been to two offsites and, and I've had the good fortune to speaking at both of them. And I think about it for months. Yeah, I, I, I rehearse it. I like, I'm not up there just shoot from the hip just cause I don't have note cards and I'm not living in a slideshow. I'm, I rehearsed that thing over and over again. So, so I don't want to discredit. Like, I just don't want to say, oh, I can improvise. So I get up there and I, I just make it happen. Like there's a lot of prep and work. And, and I learned that through the second city, like the second city, most of that show is scripted. We improvise to script out a show that we're confident in executing. And then every now and again, we'll, we'll add some improvisational elements to it, mm-hmm. but it's, there's a lot of prep that goes yeah. into it. There's a there's a process with that, like anything else. Yeah. That's the part people don't see, and that's why it appears easy when you see other people doing it. Until if you're doing it well, it appears easy. Yeah. yeah. So that's great. I think public speaking, and this, you don't need to be a great public speaker to be a good salesperson, though. And I think it helps, mm. but I think let me just completely rip off a cliche here, but go for it. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I've had people who are very close to me that don't have the big personality, that don't have seven years of improvisational experience that out-earned me because they just straight got in front of the dials. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing I try to teach my people. Whereas if you don't, if you're not great in terms of like this big, giant personality and, and that's not in your comfort zone. There are introverted people that are very successful here because they make 120 dials. And at the end of the day, if you get yourself in front of that much opportunity, just the numbers game, you're going to win as well. No question. So I think the best case scenario is the person with the big winning personality that makes 120 dials. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's King, right? Yeah. But there are different, different approaches, but you don't need to 
be a phenomenal public speaker to win in this business. Yeah, that's great. You had a uh, Schneider did a little number on you, Bob, of your um, of your journey before Schneider and then coming into Schneider and what led you to yeah. the, the training so I had uh, a, manager. I but, did not have a typical management and, career path. You know, I, I, I remember that article and I went back and read it before I jumped on here and you, you were a teacher at one point. It was saying, I taught in a preschool. Then, uh, yeah. I taught know, in obviously acting we already talked about and then, uh, what like what was going through your mind? Were you just out there grinding, taking any yeah. job you can, and then you eventually you're just like someone came up with a sales job at Schneider or what? Interesting. So the so as an actor, work kind of comes and goes, and so even if you're you're in a show and you're making good money, you you gotta hold on to it, like almost like someone that's like a like a squirrel that's harvesting for the winter because you don't know whenever this job leaves if there's another job coming along the way. So you're constantly in this weird grabbing these actor jobs or these side jobs mm-hmm. to just always kind of have in your back pocket to stay afloat. So I was in catering and I, and I just, some of these days where I'm just pouring coffee for people and I'm like, I have a college degree and I'm talented. Why am I pouring coffee? No offense to anyone that pours coffee. But, uh, and then uh, I, uh, one of the jobs I had was teaching in a preschool. So I would teach kids the alphabet and I would teach them about the, what a stop sign was. Uh, there was a great, there was a great song we, we used to teach the uh, stop sign, which was uh, twinkle, twinkle, traffic light standing on the corner, bright red means stop green means go yellow means go slow. So we, so we would, we would teach them these little songs or some of the lessons plans were just, what do you wear when it's rainy? Like those were just yeah. like teaching them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was fun because I would, we would do this like letter of the day. So every, every day there was a, or every week there was a new letter, excuse me. So I would always, uh, I like to draw as well. So I would draw like the letter L. L is for, for lion or Legos or Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> so I would always, I would always draw a picture of like a celebrity yeah. and parents really got into that. They'd be like, I wonder what the, I wonder what M's going to be. Like, I wonder <laughs> what celebrity M's going to be. But yeah, I always kind of like do stuff that's fun for the parents, but the kids would just go M, M for mashed potatoes, M for Matt Damon. Matt Damon was M. I was thinking maybe more. Why? Well, man, this this was this was before uh, this is us. So she was pretty irrelevant at the time. It was was Matt Damon uh, and for Nicolas Cage. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I taught kids in a preschool. I taught them how to swim, stuff like that. Uh, And then about five years into my Chicago acting career, I was just kind of getting worn down, and and I really wanted to have performance be a part of my life, but not my career, not how I earned a living, I would say. So um, I had a friend that would come see a lot of my shows, Chiquita Watson. Okay. Kiki, yeah, I know her as Kiki Watson, but she was a, a recruiter. She used to be a recruiter for Schneider. Yeah. And she said, I think you'd be really good at this company. And I said, she's like, I was like, what do you guys do? She's like, we're logistics sales. And I was like, okay, well, my mom and my dad are both salespeople. So I've talked to them about the sales process before, but I said, uh, I said, I don't, I don't have any experience. And she said, Oh, that's, we're looking for more personality types that we can mold, but we'll teach you sales that part of our, part of our 
And I was like, you don't have to have, you don't have to go to business school or, or uh, sales training experience. She's like, well, we, we can kind of mold that around you. And, and we kind of like people that come in a little raw that we can kind of teach our process to. And so mm-hmm. I said, oh, great. So I was like, I, I, I did some research on the company and I found out that, you know, just the, how much they, how impactful they were in this industry. And I researched the industry and I was like, man, it's a giant industry. This is, this is pretty exciting. And um, I came in and I interviewed for the sales role and I was, I must've been pretty green in my interview mm-hmm. because uh, the two people I interviewed with uh, Wayne Thaxton and, and Jacob Caressel, JK, Jake Keezy, as mm-hmm. I now call them, they, uh, they actually recommended me for customer support first. So I started in customers and I, and I, I looked at it as an opportunity. I wasn't, I wasn't beaten down by that too much. I said, okay, great. Well, now I can learn the industry. You didn't have any reservations coming in as like a customer service role? Or- no, I just wanted to, I was ready, ready to learn. You know, yeah. I just had a very open mind about it. And so my leader was actually McGill who was on episode 12. Mm-hmm. And I was just really supercharged because I was aligned to Greg Mackey's book of business and Greg worked with some really big accounts that I knew like Microsoft and, and Vizio. And he had some, he, uh, and, and he was in the verge of closing Lagunitas brewery. And so it was, it was, um, I was aligned to him, but in my first one-on-one McGill said, Oh, you're from, you did improv, you did acting. He's like, that's great. Let that personality rip. He's like, the more personality you can show in here, the, the more doors it's going to open. Mm-hmm. So don't be, don't be a uh, fly on the wall. Like definitely early and often let your personality rip. And, and I took that to heart and, you know, I, I got involved. I think that the first week I was here, they had a team outing and it was whirly ball. And so okay. I was like, I, I actually put a lot of pressure on myself because I was like, if I show up in my first week and I suck at whirly ball, these guys will never like me. <laughs> They'll be like, I hated that kid. He was terrible at whirly ball. <laughs> But I ended up hitting the winning goal, of whirly ball. But like I just, I just dove in. Like everyone like was threw that in, little, you know, slide what? there. What hit the winning? Oh goal. yeah, <laughs> yeah. You guys want to know any other celebrities I've met and, yeah. and all my whirly ball goals? <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, but I, so, but everyone was going out to the bar afterwards. I, I wanted to make sure that I was networking and kind of letting my personality show, and uh, that that made it fun for me in the office place as well. But. Um, the IDP I had that year was really impactful because McGill every month would go like, what do you want to do at the end of the year? Like what is, what's best case scenario? And I would say, Oh, I want to go into direct sales. Like I, I really want to try to, to try some of this stuff out on sales. Mm-hmm. And so he would give me little tasks throughout the, the, the quarter to do. So he'd be like, let's, let's see if you can bring in um, some of the vendors that you're picking up from. Let's see if you can, uh, bring in some new business for Greg to quote out or while you're out in, in your day-to-day life, like think of some companies that Greg might be able to call and, and, and you know, that, that, that's what prospecting is. That's mm. stuff that a salesperson does. So by the time I went in for sales, I was already kind of doing the tasks that a seller would do. And, and I am very grateful for the opportunity to learn about logistics and supply chain through a customer service lens mm. And so when I went into the sales training class with, with the new people coming into the business, all I had to do was focus on how to be a seller. I didn't need to know how heavy a truck was. I didn't yeah. need to learn because I don't know how effective I would have been if I would have had to juggle all that information at once. Yeah, it's definitely a lot. So I also try to think about that while I'm teaching this stuff now. It's just someone coming in and they don't have the benefit of a year's in transportation experience like, how, how do you roll this out? At what time is this information critical? 
what can your expectations reasonably be within the first two months? Things like that. I, I, I constantly am chewing on, you know? Yeah, that's good. I, I think it's very important. Like you being so open to accept a role that, you know, that, you know, you applied to the sales role and they're offering you a customer service role that, you know, maybe it wasn't a part of your plan, you know, and I like, didn't have any plan. Like you said, you, <laughs> you had a college degree and not that we need a college degree to even function yeah. in a sales role, but it's like, I see it a lot. You know, I go to a lot of, uh, job fairs, uh, career fairs yeah, at, we're both part at of that universities, team. Yeah. universities and, uh, my twin brother is a consultant that works at a consult firm and's talked to these young uh, Randall, not yeah. Randall, but Randall. And he and he was just talking about it, and I've seen it too. It's just like this younger generation where they're coming in and have such high expectations. Uh, they, yeah, I uh, have a sales management degree, so I'd like to go straight into sales management right yeah. now. I'm like, homie, <laughs> and not willing to accept a role where you're only making thirty, thirty-five k in Chicago or whatever, you know, whatever place you're going. Yeah, and it's just like, I think it it takes a lot of you know gratitude of just having a job that you're willing to that you can just prove yourself. And putting in the work before, you know, before you prove yourself. You know what I mean? It's like you don't really have any. I think I think perspective is critical, especially with positivity in the workplace. And I think, and I've and I've talked to some of my senior leaders about this, but because I've had crappy jobs out of college, because I've loaded frozen food onto Amtrak trains, because I had to clean a diaper when I was in the the. Uh, preschool and yeah. because I poured coffee as a caterer, I, I definitely had a, a, I was, I was very much grateful for an opportunity to use my actual skill set and like be able to earn a very good living. And, mm -hmm. and I think people that come straight into the business world might not have that perspective yeah. and they, and they can kind of burn out quicker. But um, I, I just, I think for, for me, in my opinion, everyone should uh, have experience waiting tables just because that will make you a better restaurant patron. <laughs> Either that or retail, which is yeah. similar to the same you thing. Should, you should, everyone should have that perspective because I think that will make you more patient and understanding of that world when, when you're dealing with it on the other side. And I think everyone should work with kids to some degree. And so I think just having those perspectives, let me go, what a great opportunity here. And oh, by the way, other companies aren't digging in and asking me about what I want in my career. Like they might ask you offhand, like, hey, what do you want to do? Oh, you want to be in management? Well, good luck. Go work hard. But they don't give you the breadcrumbs the same way that my leader, Adam McGill, gave me the breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that I, I know I'm not out here like selling the company right now, but I think that's something that I really gravitated towards because I just never had that experience. So I was... I just really took to that opportunity yeah. and ran. And then even when I got into sales, I was able to be pretty successful in my first year and a half, two years. I was hitting 150% of my sales goals for a lot of that time because I had all the experience of working in the customer service role. I learned sales pretty quickly. I was able to apply some of my acting stuff to it. But when I was successful in sales, my managers were still asking, okay, what's your next goal? And I said, I'd love to be a manager. Okay, well, let's get him into mentorship. Let's get him coaching. Let's get him in the training room. And so by the time the training position opened up, well, I'm just telling a story. Yeah. You know? Great. So it's like that, like that stuff to me, just that being a fresh approach 
and I'd had perspective on other companies that hadn't given me that, yeah. I was able to attack it. Yeah. Now you mentioned that, that, that perspective is huge when it comes to that. I, mean, I just, I worked in a lot of factory jobs in college for summer jobs and then retail out of college and it wasn't the best job that I wanted, you know, and it's yeah. just like going through that basically strengthened Ryan holiday and obstacle away calls it your inner citadel. He's like, you're, it's like that inner, like, uh, grit almost you know it's like you going through hardships going through adversity going through things you maybe not want to do and a lot of people not want to do and then seeing that perspective on that side builds that inner citadel to take you into a role and become the best sales associate training manager you can be because you went through and gained those perspectives yeah and and then and then you can just think about it you can you can project yourself into the other seat and you're thinking about the experience mm-hmm. and you're constantly trying to elevate that experience and so being somebody in the more roles you have and the more perspective you have the, the more you can see yourself there or, or help that experience i guess is, is the point i'm trying to say yeah if you had to uh if you had to give if you went back and gave young Bob Panalone that just started Schneider or a new Schneider associate or anyone that's starting their career, what's some like core advice you would give them to make it like an easy transition? Get as, get as much perspective as possible. Um, this is that this is one thing that I, I really believe in, in, in any sort of craft that you're developing is, and I'll, I'll do this again where I, I relate a lot of my acting life to, to my sales career. But Johnny Depp, yeah, you know Johnny Depp. Yep. You know he, um, <clears throat> Johnny Depp. He kind of talks a little quietly. But <laughs> I, uh, I watched his uh, in the actor studio with James Lipton, and they asked him about his acting process. I said, "How'd you? What, what's what method do you subscribe to?" And he talks about how he went to all these different acting studios, and he read all these different books, and he went and got himself in front of all these wide variety all over the spectrum of different type of acting coaches and he treated it like he treats his religion you know he uh went to these different philosophies and he picked the different parts of the philosophies that work for him Mm. and he made his own acting process and so regardless of what you think about johnny depp and his personal life or his movies i i think he's a very creative actor i think he's a very unique actor and it's because he got as much perspective as possible and developed his own craft. And I think that's one thing I tried. I I dipped a toe in when I was starting. I wish I would have even gone farther and and maybe even approached some senior leaders and and, and tried to get as much perspective as possible there. Because I, I had the good fortune of sitting next to Dan Franzo. So I could listen to his calls, I could listen to how casual he was, yeah. right? And I'd be like, oh, I want to try on a little bit of that. Even if I have to pretend this th- this feeling until it, it, it starts to actually feel this way. Mm-hmm. I And I, I would listen to the way he introduced himself, or I would listen just to the way he articulated th- this benefit that I tried to articulate. And you, you just kind of like try on different things. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then you know, you, you're also kind of listening to uh, the, this, this guy next to you, or you're just trying to, you're in this, in this group, you're in this kind of, sales pit with everybody like kind of keep your ears open and, and when you're new learn 
as many different approaches as possible, try them all, and then you can start to form your own style. Because mm-hmm. like you said, Tommy Boy, right? Mm-hmm. You can't be your dad. You're not going to be Big Tom. You've got you've to develop your own style. And so one thing I should have even done, I was a little scared to at the time, but like go knock on Verge's door and say, hey, do you mind calling a few people with me and let me let me rip off your style here yeah. like go to the original gangsters of free <laughs> yeah. you know and OGs. yeah the ogs <laughs> and like be like you know it's ambitious right it, it it's it's a little scary but it's like get that they're willing that yeah. this group is pretty willing like, say, if you know anything about this place they will they will do it yeah know. you know so um that's one thing i definitely preach to my people now is you get a mentor when you come here, but that shouldn't be your only mentor. You should be seeking kind of that social capital. You should be, you should be for, to be in the learning zone, constantly trying to get as much perspective as possible. And, mm-hmm. and then you could craft your own process out of it. Mm-hmm. That's great. I was articulating some of this in my head. I'm thinking perspective and that's what books do, man. That's what biographies do. Read it, books. Yeah, gains perspective. Reading sales books, reading different ones. You're you're taking a little bit from here and there, whatever relates to you, to you the most. You're doing sit-ins with experienced salespeople. You're listening to podcasts. You're learning. Watch a movie that isn't just you know uh, Captain America. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> watch watch things that make you think and feel. Yeah. Nothing against Marvel. I don't want people to throw their radio out the window right now. But challenging your the paradigms you're held beliefs and you know and then then that's how and gaining i think that's one of the big things i heard someone talk about on podcasts and then i I talked about it with some friends but it's i think that's what college does the most is it you come i came from a small town indiana town and went to university with it forty thousand people all hail to the old black two thousand people hometown to forty thousand people and I, i gained all these perspectives and all these different uh, minorities and and I just learned so much and it's like beyond what the classes did like it was the yeah. perspective that I gained. But not even that a university program forces you to do that. You can't just study literature if you're a literature major. You've got to do a little biology. You've got to do. You've got to take an acting class. You've yeah. got to. You've got to. They they force you into being a, a high functioning. Mm-hmm learner yeah. not just uh, and then and then obviously grad school you can you have a zero uh, zeroed in focus but really a, an undergraduate program allows you to diversify your perspective and it, it just gives you so much opportunities to meet other people that aren't yeah. from the 2000 person hometown that you're from you yeah. know that i was from so it's like woo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> perspective is huge yeah bob if you had a if you had a billboard and you could put anything on it that would reach millions and billions of people, metaphorically, you know, what would you put on that billboard? Jeez, great, great question. Um, Detroit versus everybody? No. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure uh, that already is a billboard. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about uh, about all the things that we've been been saying. Um, I just. Uh, uh, Quotes or yeah, um, I, I I'll go back to the the old cliche of um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, I think in 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 general, and this this might also go on the billboard. But uh, success in this world is based on the merit of your work, and um, that's that's something I I, I truly believe. Um, and it was actually something that was said to me in a. Uh, in 
my commencement speech in college, okay. which I know most people probably hated their commencement speech, but the guy who gave mine was really great because I was graduating in 2009. So ground zero of the recession. For sure. I'm graduating the same year. And he said, don't, and I graduated from Central Michigan University, so it wasn't a Big Ten school. We were a, a MAC, division so we weren't, one. yeah, Division One. It, it was 30,000. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it's not Harvard and it, it's not even Purdue. But he said, don't be discouraged by graduating during this recession. Because he said, in any, other, in, in any other recession we've ever had, the greatest innovation comes out of times like this. Mm. To, in yeah. order for companies to survive, they've got to get really innovative. So if you look at it with, again, this positive perspective, we've been talking a lot about perspectives today. Mm. But if you look at it with a positive perspective, you're entering the job field at probably one of the most innovative times that we we're ever going to see. And then he said, and don't be discouraged that you're graduating from a, a mid-major college because some of these other universities, these bigger universities, a lot of their, quote, teachers are focused on getting published. They're focused on other things besides just teaching. But the majority of your faculty here are solely committed to your education and, and teaching you directly. So you guys have a lot of hands-on experience. And he said that success in this world that the people that went to some of the, the bigger schools that's going to help them with their first job but that's not that only gets you in with normally your first job mm, success in this world is based on the merit of your work mm. and i promise you there's people all over this country that are very successful from this school because they worked a job and they did it the right way and they, they worked it hard. And yeah. that's the stuff that gets you the second promotion and the third promotion. I love that. Yeah. And I think, so that's, that's what's on my billboard is I took a long way to get there, but success is based on the merit of your work because I think that I, not to pat myself on the back too much, but I think that's, I came in as an acting. There's kids that are coming from all sorts of big schools here. I came in from central Michigan with, with no office experience. I didn't, I'd never had an office email, but I had a positive attitude. I worked it. I asked questions. I had a, a good personality and a willingness to learn. And, and the merit of the things I was doing on a regular basis was able to tell a, a, a good enough story to earn myself the opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's, that's, and I think that's how you win business. I think that's how, I think that's just how success is built is on the merit of that work. Yeah, no doubt about it. I've had conversations about that, the whole thing when it comes to like the college, the college of choice only does get you maybe that first job, even, even maybe not nowadays with how oversaturated. How many people have degrees. Yeah. It Basically is. the college degree is what the high school used, degree used to be for our parents, right? Exactly. That one. It really is. I yeah. need a graduate degree in order to truly differentiate yourself. So now it's very, very important to put in that hard work to make yourself uncommon amongst, you know, the common you know, yeah. folk for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think a lot, a lot of the people that I gravitate to, um, just a lot of them and a lot of them are actors just cause that's what I'm into. But, uh, you know, guys like Brian Cranston, it's, he, he exemplified that over and over and over again, just in terms of his professionalism and approach when he was on set or when he was working in these collaboratives. Cause, Acting is very much collaborative, the same way that coming up with transportation solutions are. I gotta read that book. Yeah, you know. A Life in Parts by Brian Cranston. Yeah. But um, I uh, one more name drop for you. This so I, I finished a show because I still act from time to time. Uh, I'll do uh, normally about a show a year just to kind of scratch my creative itch. Mm -hmm. But um, 
I, I wrapped a show that ran from January to March and, and I, as a treat to myself, went to New York to see Brian Cranston in a play and, and I stage doored. Have you, you know what stage doored means? No. So after the play, all the actors have to come out of this stage door. So if you're, if, if you're ambitious enough, you can kind of wait by the stage door and they normally come out and greet the people who have seen okay. the show. So I stage doored and uh, Brian came out eventually after about an hour or so. And, um, you know, he's like signing programs. And I walked up to him. We took a quick picture and I said, I just want to let you know how elemental your book was to me. And I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher and I, and I talk a lot about the values of your book to, to my people. And, you know, I, that probably was a moment he never thinks about ever again, but it was just really, I love being able to express, especially to somebody who is impactful to you. Mm -hmm. I just, I wanted to tell you just how elemental this book is to me, not just in, in an acting sense, but in, in my lifestyle and in, in my professional life, like this, this is a very important thing to me. Mm. He seemed to look, Oh God, thank, thank you so much. That, that, that's very nice. Or just, I can't remember. Yeah. I was, I was like, <laughs> spinning, yeah. but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I just, I love that. And, 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 and I also just, I want to tell people to, to be creative. And I think one thing that my um, family and, and my parents always tried to stress to me was to try to do something creative every day. And so, you know, whether it's you're acting a play or whether you're Ronnie, you're making your podcast or whether you're, you're drawing a picture or writing a poem, like try to create one new thing from you every single day. And I think that just keeps your, that part of your brain sharp, whatever part of the brain you, you want those, you want those neurons firing. And I, and so I, I just think by me constantly trying to stay creative mm -hmm. in everything I do, including my classroom, it, it makes it better. Yeah. Like curiosity and creativity are like two very underrated things that lead to a lot of these things that we're talking about, you know, cause it leads to reading books, the podcast things you're interested in and then, yeah. you know, and then creativity leads into you starting your own podcast and maybe you make an impact on somebody else and it slowly branches out into this greater thing. And I think, and I, and I totally agree. And, and really this podcast that you're doing to, to give you credit, Ron, is, is a combination of both. Like you're curious, you, you want to get my perspective or whomever, McGill's or Berja or, or whoever, you're, you're, you're curious about the perspective and you're also creative in, in, in its process, right? The, the process of this is, is, is in its own thing. Mm -hmm. And I was, I've been dating this girl and, and she wants to write this book. She wants to, to, to write this book. And, I, and she was like, yeah, I, I don't know who would read it. And I say, that's not the point. Don't look at the outcome. Yeah. I was like, whether one person reads it or whether 4 million people read it, it's you're being creative and that's a win already. Mm -hmm. So write the book. And I think too many people are worried. Oh, if I do a podcast, only nine people will listen to it. Well, who cares? Yeah. It's part of, it's just putting it on. And and I think when you go into it, when we first started our podcast, it was probably 15 people and then it was probably 12 listens from my mom. But, and now it's like three or 400 people are listening. And, and it's just because we weren't worried about getting a big audience right away. We were just worried about, or we, we were focusing on the process, having fun with it and being creative. Mm. My mom's one of my biggest fans of my podcast, too. She's probably going to listen to Shout that. out to Ron Dog's mom. What's your mom's name? Nancy. 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 Bartlett. Nancy Bartlett. Or Zorn now. Zorn. Oh, Nancy Zorn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, so is it, are you a stepdad then? Yeah. Okay. 
Cool. Mr. Zorn. That's Zorn, yeah. Yeah, I pop uh, high stuff up Zorn fan. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. But yeah, it's uh and I love what you told um uh, your significant person that you're uh, talking to now when it comes to writing the book. Uh, uh the recent um book club book, Tribes by Seth Godin, that's what he he was talking about. He's like he's like it's all about you know, creativity and taking the initiative. And there's other people that are thinking the same thing you're thinking. It's probably, it may be the small tribe, but they're going to find your message. If it, if it truly is something like something, um, substantial and has some meaning to it, other people are going to find that message. So just do what you're really passionate about and take initiative. And then the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, following your passion is is something that, and you don't go into a career in acting without having to have a hard conversation with yourself and following passion. And and that was definitely something that I had to have conversations with my dad and my parents about because they said broadcasting is probably, and that's not a, a booming industry either. But he said broadcasting is probably going to be you're going to find more success there. And it's like it's not a, I'm I'm not judging this by bank account dollars. I'm I'm judging this by. Um, by fulfillment, personal fulfillment. And um, yeah, but I think when you start and, and, and there's always decisions that you make. And so making that career change here was, was definitely me saying I can have, I can fulfill myself artistically somehow. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, yeah, there, there is an art and a craft to selling. That's a challenge and is kind of exciting that I can, I can have that personal fulfillment and also probably uh, achieve in the bank account setting too. Mm-hmm. So I just think in general, you're kind of, you're always, I think you should always be passionate about something. If you're finding yourself going to work, putting in nine to five, punching clock, coming home, flip on some Netflix that you really don't care about. You've got mindless noise in the background. Like mm-hmm. that's just, you're not living to your full potential. Yeah, It's not pushing your, yeah. it's not pushing it's not instilling any creativity if you're just doing this mundane yeah. type of things the monotonous things that mm-hmm. are just same thing over and over but those are the easy things you know that's what that's what comes easiest and it's putting ourselves through that adversity building that inner citadel that's going to make us better and have more creative thoughts because we're bringing in a lot more information, books, podcasts, everything. And it takes it and allows us to be more creative and apply it to something else. Yeah. And just having the, having the stones to take on a new challenge. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think people that switch industry just because they're like, I wonder what this industry is like. I I admire that. Or it doesn't need to be a full uh, industry switch, but just even you, Ron, like you went from a specific role, which is brokerage in our center here. Mm -hmm. And you know what? There's a, there's, there's something in this sales. I want to just develop as develop my overall uh, reference portfolio, level and yeah. portfolio. Like I'm going to take on this challenge, and and you're, there's probably some other sort of challenge that you're you're you've got in your pipeline too. And I think just kind of always looking for that 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 next challenge mm-hmm. keeps you fresh. Yeah, I mean, even just starting this podcast, there was a lot of you know tentativeness and fear to do it because takes a lot of work you gotta have these conversations with people what am i gonna say yeah. what if i screw it up you know all that type of stuff it's and but once i started doing it it became easy and then i'm having all these good conversations there's people listening to it that are learning some things yeah. from it and they're thinking about starting their own podcast and reading books and it's just like that's what that's the whole reason that i wanted to do but it there's so many people that don't get 
through that first stage that you got. And that shouldn't be overlooked. And it's like, did, uh, who painted the Sistine Chapel? Is that Michelangelo? That sounds right, but uh, so, I'm not big on God, art history. God, just don't kill me for anyone that's into art history. But <laughs> so, so I, I rem- and I'm going to just butcher this, but he, uh, people called it genius. They said that, that, that um, ceiling is genius. It's genius. And I think his quote was something along the lines of, don't call it genius because it discredits all of the hard work that it took to make that. Like mm. to just call something mm. genius yeah, is just arbitrarily, well, I could never do that because I'm not a genius. But it's like, no, that dude obviously had a lot of talent, but he broke his back to make it. Yeah, and it's, there's good. a, there's a, it's, so don't just say, oh, they're good at public speaking so they can just get up there and do it. Like, no, there's, there's hard work and a process to be able to get up there and do it. And don't just say, oh, well, Ron Dog, you know, he, he's, uh, he's adventurous, so he makes a podcast. Like, no, you had to go through a, a process, a, a mental process in order to create this. And that's, that's something that, that's a lesson in itself, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's some good context to bring. I love that, that quote of uh, Michelangelo. That or Leonardo just, or whoever the hell painted the thing. I think that's a, people use that as an excuse of why other people are succeeding and, and they don't want to take that leap. So they kind of create that um, barrier for themselves, that yeah. self-limiting belief. Oh, this person's just naturally gifted at it. So yeah. it is what it is. Oh, uh, they were born with money. That's why they, you know, started their own company and, and, and turned that into a million dollar you know, or a billion dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Whatever it is, you know, oh, that person's just more talented than me. So it's just, it's like, I mean, talent has something to do with it to some degree, but really it's like, don't, that doesn't, don't just call it genius or don't just call it natural ability. And cause that discredits the, the work that it takes to, to achieve those things. And I love that Michelangelo said that if we're getting it right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I really hope it's Raphael. <laughs> it's one of the turtles. Yeah. Uh, Donatello maybe. Yeah. But uh, that's what's so important is getting people to understand that so they know the hardships and difficulty and adversity and, and failures that they're going through right now isn't the end of the world. And there's light at the end of the tunnel because it, he wants people to know this took me years to actually do. It didn't, I didn't, it didn't happen overnight. Yeah. I just, it just didn't come to me and I, and I did this and it's just my genius. And cause that, that makes it seem simple Mm -hmm. and it makes it seem easy. And it's like, no, this was the most challenging thing that I've ever done in my life. No one saw the hard work pants by pants put in of being a customer service rep turn, you know, didn't get the sales role put customer service rep worked his way up to become a sales rep now became a manager managing people doing being creative doing things you love now that's all they see but they didn't see put in all this hard work that's very important for people to know i think just so they know it's like if you failed an interview or or whatever happened it's like just you might have to take do something that you don't want to do to get eventually down the road and earn the trust of people that you're yeah. So true. And, or even uh, to, to, not to, to hammer it, but to, when I do the presentations at the offsite and, you know, I, I think sometimes people are like, oh, he's just, that's what he does. Like he has this experience. And then it was actually Wayne uh, and, and Sean Howry came up to me and they said, man, I don't even want to think about how long you take to prepare that hour mm. presentation. 
And I was like, I wanted to like kiss him on the face, but I, I obviously didn't do that. <laughs> but like, I wanted to say like, thank you so much for like, it, it takes time, yeah. you know? And so it's not just, it's not, oh, I've got this natural ability. So I just do it. Like, it's a process. Speaking of failure, do you have like a, like a favorite failure of yours or something that made a real impact in your life that you think like uh, leaped you forward into your progression of life? Are you talking about with anything this person, life in anything? General, just maybe you missed the varsity. It's just been team, so many varsity wins. soccer team and uh, <laughs> no, I was a uh, I, I made the varsity teams. Um, I uh, I did I did I um, so there was a there was a part in a in a play. Uh, my senior year that I really wanted. And it was the first play of the, uh, of the season. So they, um, so I had all summer, I knew what the plays were going to be the next year, but I knew that the play that I really wanted was that was the next summer or was the next fall. And they were going to audition in, in uh, August. So basically two weeks in class, they're going to audition for this play. And so I worked all summer and I, um, I, rehearse and I and I came in what we call in the business off book have you ever heard the term off book so in an audition or sometimes in early rehearsals you don't have your lines memorized so you've got the book in your hand and so you're kind of acting with the book okay you've got both of us have a book in our hand and we're reading and we're we're trying our best to to act with this book in our hand I see off book means I have my lines memorized I have your lines memorized and I'm able to fully exist out of the page uh person to person. Okay. So I came into the audition off book. So clearly was presenting myself as someone that's very eager and wants this part. Yeah. And I didn't get it. And the guy was, he was kind of this like uh, uh, backwoods, like grizzly man kind of guy. And, uh, and, and they, they put the audition posting up and I was one of the first people t- to be there. And, and I saw this uh, audition post and I didn't get the role. I didn't get any role in the play. And, I went right into not in an angry way, but I went right into the my my acting mentor who who had cast the part, and I said, "Hey, I I would like feedback on my audition and and why I didn't get this part." Mm-hmm. And he said, "I thought you were very prepared. Uh, I I very much enjoyed your audition, but he said I would have had to take a chance with you in." in just the, the look of the character. He said, you, you're, you, the person, the way you look right now, you don't look like what I need this character to look like. Yeah. And that's, that's the harsh reality of acting sometimes is sometimes you just don't look the part. And he's, and, and this guy was like, sometimes I go in for parts and you're, I don't look like you. I'm not going to get your part. But he said, sometimes I'm, there's a, there's an aesthetic that I'm looking for. And you don't have that. And, and that's sometimes, I guess the lesson that I have that I learned in that was he said, first of all, thank you so much for coming in and getting feedback because that means that you really care and you care about your development. And then the other thing is some things are just out of your control. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in sales, you could have the best sales pitch. You could, you could, you could do everything the right way. And sometimes whatever, for whatever reason, they don't choose you. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least you go in there, you go into that audition and you're giving yourself the best chance to win. Mm-hmm. And I'm presenting this the best that I possibly can. I'm as prepared as I possibly can be to give myself the win. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. And I think if you go in and you're going in, um, at least saying, I'm giving you the gift. Here's, here's the gift of my performance. I hope you choose it. Mm-hmm. And then it's not your role to lose. You're just, you've done the role. You've yeah. done your part in that place, and then 
it, it takes pressure off yourself. Yeah. There's a confidence and a power to presenting yourself and then and then walking away and being at peace with you yeah. doing the best. That's that a very you can do. that's a very like stoic type of mindset. Yeah. It's like there's gonna be times where you give it your all and you do a really damn good job at something and you're not gonna get it, but it's understanding that some things are out of your control, like you said. So what do you do instead? You try to learn from it and you try to apply yourself and not stress out about who and why they made the decision exactly. and the things that are out of your control. And I think that's a, that's a lesson that you can apply directly to direct uh, business to business sales. You can, you can apply it to whether or not you get the job or not, whether or not you get the promotion or not. Sometimes you, you've got to just prepare the best you can and, and, and be at peace that, it might not go your way and, and you don't have control over that. And I think people are afraid of not having control. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, that's a big part I, of it. you know, people ask Bill Murray, like, what did you, uh, what, what advice would you give a new acting, uh, a new comedian? And he's like, honestly, it's a crapshoot. And people, you need to be <laughs> at peace with the fact that this is going to be a crapshoot and everyone's got talent. And sometimes it's not going to work for you just because wrong time, wrong place. And he's like, that's, and he's like, that's really, he's like, I got really lucky. And, and you've got to be okay knowing that there's, it's just a gamble sometimes. Yeah, that's you know? good. That's good. Uh, life lesson. How'd know, I do? Did I, did I do well there? That was good. Good. <laughs> Let's, uh, we'll end it off with this. We'll have a little fun with it. Something a little more to, uh, your liking per se. Yeah. Top five, comedies of all time top five comedies <laughs> wow uh, uh just there are a few you don't have to name five no yeah uh i really love um i'm just gonna go with some of my favorite comedians and then movies that they've made that i loved yeah. so um bill murray what about bob is a very underrated comedy i and i, I especially bill i, I ronnie I'm by the way ronnie has <laughs> a huge list of movies that i've recommended to him and he's working down them diligently and it's, i appreciate you it's like 14 movies i have point. a microsoft one note that i'm slowly building and, yeah and, him uh, and his wife are just knocking out these bob panel and lists but uh I what about when i talked to bob in this podcast i wasn't very cultured and that's and not culture is the wrong word but and uh tv and Bill Murray, uh, what about Bob? Hilarious movie. Uh, underrated performance is Richard Dreyfuss, who is uh, who's the psychiatrist. So Bill Murray is this crazy manic um, uh, patient of his. But you got to see it. I don't want to spoil it yeah, for you. I'll check it out. Um, I love I love um, Mike Myers and I love Wayne's World. Yeah. Um, Chris Farley was was a was a pretty big influence when I was a kid. I loved um, Tommy Boy a lot. Uh, and Talk I, and I use that a lot sure. in class. Um, I, uh, love Will Ferrell and I love Anchorman and Step Brothers. I actually quote Step Brothers a lot more than I do Anchorman at this point, which I would have never guessed when I was in high school, but. Step Brothers uh, comes up a lot. That's definitely my top five. Yeah. Um, Jim Carrey was a huge influence. And so Ace Ventura was, um, was something that was important to me when I was a kid. But yeah. now that I've grown older, um, kind of the dumb and dumbers and the, uh, the Ace Venturas are, are, are pretty silly. They're, they're very adolescent. So yeah. I actually really liked Liar Liar. I thought that yeah. that was a great movie that showcased all of his skills um, in, in both kind of just him being able to, to play a sweet tender moment, but also the physical comedy. Oh yeah. I uh, watched uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective recently. And uh, again, like Nature Calls was a great one. Pet yeah. Detective. But uh, he, I was, 
some of the things he was saying, I didn't even realize I was continuing to quote him, what, 20 years yeah. from now, and I'm, like, still quoting that movie. And it was like, like, all righty then. Yeah, or, all righty then. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I loved, uh, I, I loved those. Um, some more adult stuff. Uh, Big Lebowski is just... That's just an all-timer. Yeah, that's great. Uh, love me some Big Lebowski. Walter Sobchak is my spirit animal. <laughs> I think um, also just uh, uh, Billy Madison and and, yeah. and Happy Gilmore. Both of those, you basically could just say those are two movies. I link them together. But those are those are really uh, influential comedies when I was a kid. Just that '90s comedy was really a golden age. Yeah. Um, not a lot of recent stuff. I do love Seth Rogen movies, so I would say Super Bad, even though he's he's. He wrote that movie with his writing partner, but yeah, really Superbad's uh, a movie that I love as well. Right, but I just, I think he's he's kind of one of the better working comedic writers and, and uh, performers right now. So. This is a very popular one that people uh, talk about. But uh, were you a Tom Green fan at all? Uh, it's in our era. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. Yeah. I definitely was at some point. I, even his uh, late night show, he had a late night show for a uh -huh. couple years. Yeah. Just, Crack Me Up, and then Road Trip was one Road of the, Trip, one of yeah, great movie. Yeah, Todd Phillips wasn't like, it? Uh, Director of Joker made Road Trip. Oh, was it really? Yeah. I did yeah. not know that. He made a lot of those like dudes traveling across the country. Uh, Hangover. Oh, he made Hangover. Okay. Just basically like grown men on some sort of quest. Uh, yeah. Those were a lot of his movies. I think. I think he made Old School as well. Yeah, he made Old School. Okay. Todd Phillips. Yeah. So. Um. Any like general movies the last two years that you would suggest must let's watch watch it? Oh, uh, I um, I really like Marriage Story. That's yeah. that's a very heavy movie, but had a lot of say about relationships. I'm um, speaking of Scarlett Johansson. I love the movie Her mm. with her and Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, that was good. I, um, I like these these like weighty dramas about um, about relationships. I, I reflect on them a lot. Uh, I think... What about he's just not that into you with Scarlett Johansson? Uh, no, I, I wasn't <laughs> as aligned in that one. Um, I uh, But I um, I love Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, was very special for me. Uh, I liked, of the last couple years, um, this year's been, been significantly better than last year. But uh, yeah... Um, Uncut Gems was really cool. I think I, oh, I'm that's recommending the most that's one the one Adam Sandler one, um, and that's one Irishman important to mention because like everyone scoffs at any time Adam Sandler is casted in a movie. But don't scoff at yeah, it. don't be don't sleep though because Paul Thomas Anderson cast him in a lead, and Paul Thomas Anderson's a very credible director, and, and he cast him in in Punch Drunk Love, and he's done some real stuff from time to time. Mm -hmm. Noah Baumbach, who directed Marriage Story, directed. Adam Sandler in a movie, so okay. Adam Sandler is uh, he can get real sometimes. I know he's made a lot of crap, but this Click was a good one. I, did you ever like Click? I like Click. It was like a serious. Yeah, <laughs> you do you, <laughs> you do you. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so uh, just there's, there's just a lot of good stuff. I I, I appreciate it. Irishman. Just, um, I'm just off the top of the head. Yeah, yeah. Not anyway. throw you on the spot there. Favorite? No, it's good. My favorite movie is Goodwill Hunting. Still great is good. One. Still is to this day, good one. So great, great about. Um, uh, speaking of, just knowing how to play. I love that that monologue that he has about. You know, she asks him, "How can you do my homework?" Like a lot of smart people don't know how to do this, and he says, "Well, you know, Mozart. He sees a piano, and he could just play. And I look at a piano. I see a bunch of keys, four pedals, and a box of wood." But he looked at it, he saw it, he could just play. Now, I can't hit the ball out of Fenway, I can't play the piano, but I look at this math, I could just play. 
and uh, I and I just I love just the. It's a good impersonation there too. Oh, I didn't even do the Boston accent. Yeah, I mean, it's the hot, the hot eyes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I saw it and I could just play. Uh, but I uh, uh, I always just love that movie and what it says about friendship and, and what it says just about personal growth uh, and the, the character arcs in it are really well done. So that, that's always been something that was sentimental to me. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. E.T. is my favorite movie. Great movie. Yeah. Great There's movie. a lot of you know, curiosity and a lot of, you know, just, creativity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> empathetic. Uh-huh. And what's the plural form? Empathetic. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. Empathize. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Just, uh-huh. I don't know what word I'm looking Empathy for. and apathy. No, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and Steven Spielberg, man, those, those are just classics. And, mm-hmm. uh, I have really good music in it too. Yeah. John Williams. Love John Williams. So, Good stuff, Bob. Good stuff, well, Rondo. Uh, you want to give one last shout out to uh, what, what, what's your podcast again? Podcast is called out? The Analysis. Yeah. So you can find it on, if you just type in The Analysis Podcast on uh, anything, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, it, it, where you're listening to, to podcasts, it'll be there. If you watch a movie, follow it up with Bob's podcast on it because that's what I've been doing and uh, it, it gets... It, it, it fills me in on a lot of things I maybe missed, you know. Plot points, character analysis, general, uh, general idiot humor. It's it's an every man's podcast, so it's it's supposed to be like you're hanging out on your couch uh, or hanging out at work talking with buddies about the most recent movie. That's really the approach. We're not experts. We're just having fun talking about movies. So I love it. Come come and hang, and and thanks guys for listening to yeah. Ron Dog's podcast. I I just fully support you as a as a podcast brethren, and and uh, I'm happy to be here and. I love your process, man. I love you. I love you diving in and, and doing this. I appreciate it. Cool. Appreciate it, Bob. Bye, everybody. Thanks hey. for listening. Woo!